You're listening to the King's Oahu podcast. We hope today you're inspired, your faith is built up, and that you're encouraged by today's word. But I want to preach today on the blessing of the willing heart. You'll notice that when you look at this text, it's very clear that there are benefits associated with your relationship with Jesus Christ. But the interesting thing to me is that verse 5, because in verse 5 it says, who satisfies your mouth with good things. Now, what in the world is that about? Well, really, to understand Psalm 103, you have to go back to Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. Here's what Moses says to the children of Israel. So it shall be with the Lord your God, when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. And when you've eaten and you are full, He's filling our mouth with good things. When you are eat, have eaten and you are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. That whole concept of we forget not all his benefits really began with the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 6. Everybody say it with me. Forget not all his benefits. Moses carries on there in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, verse 11 through 14. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by your keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full. That's the way I feel when I come to Honolulu. They give me a, a little hors d'oeuvre before the first service, stuff me in between the two services, and then give me lunch. By the time I leave here, I've gained 10 pounds. But they're just being biblical. <laughs> Eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Forget not all his benefits. That little phrase, who satisfies your mouth with good things, is a powerful phrase. And you'll notice in Psalm 34, 8, it refers to that phrase, but it says it this way. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Well, that brings me then to the realization that God wants to bless you in every area of your life. How many believe that? Say amen. And that includes financially. In fact, in that very same chapter, Deuteronomy 8, when you look at verse 18, it says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he, it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Somebody say amen. But there's a key to God's blessing financially, and it's to have a heart like God's, a giving heart, a generous spirit. The Bible calls it a willing heart. For the last month and a half, I've traveled throughout from just right after Easter to now Pentecost, which is today. I've traveled throughout the mainland during that 50-day period doing banquets, givers' banquets, um, celebrating with those who God used in a special way to release resources for those in the top 1,000 who God used to finance this ministry. 76% of everything that came into this house came in from 1,000 families. And I'm going to tell you how many families gave. 
almost 12,000 families. You know how big a church that is? It's 3.5 per family, which is a rough estimate. You're looking anywhere between 42,000 to 45,000 people just in the United States. Doesn't include overseas. God is building his church, and yet 1,000 people, 1,000 families were the ones who financed it. Because God doesn't use the crowd. He uses the committed. Somebody say amen. My cry is that we all have an understanding of how God wants to give us a willing heart. So over these weeks, I've been sharing in banquets, and one of the things the Lord gave me was what happened in Exodus 25, where God speaks to Moses and tells Moses to speak to the children of Israel to bring an offering. And he says, from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. Everybody say, willingly with his heart. And then Moses then talks to the children of Israel. And he says uh, <clears throat> that they are to bring an offering. Uh, whatever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. They were building the tabernacle. And people had such a yearning to give that they gave so much that the people that were building the tabernacle went to Moses and says, tell them to stop giving. Can you imagine how what that would be like in a church like this where Pastor Andrew has to get up and say, okay, guys, you can't give today. The banks won't receive any more money. You can't give. It would be a tragedy because we all want to give. And that's what happened with Israel. They wanted to give. They had a willing heart. You see that same willing heart in King David. He wasn't able to build the temple. His son was to build it. But he had a willing heart to bring an offering to the Lord. And in fact, he offered willingly his, his own personal treasure. And you'll see this in 1 Chronicles 29. And he gave $7.5 billion worth of silver and gold. Huge. And then the leaders, after he gave it, they were so inspired, they gave $12.5 billion in gold and silver. And that doesn't include the tons and tons of bronze and the thousand, about 1,500 tons of, of iron and, and all the precious stones and all the quarried rocks and all the workers. My goodness, that temple must have been one of the most expensive buildings ever built. Wow. They gave it willingly. You see... There's a distinction between the tithe and the willing heart. The tithe is a covenant response to knowing that God is your supplier and that you honor him with the tithe. You return to him what is his, the tithe. The willing heart is this is money that you have, but you choose. It's a decision you make to give it beyond the tithe. And so that brings us then to 2 Corinthians 9. When you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you need to understand the background of the text. Paul is raising an offering from the Gentile churches he started to give to the Jewish church in Jerusalem because there was a great need there in Jerusalem. And he had just been in Macedonia. In fact, he was writing from Macedonia. And though Macedonia is the area where the church uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea were. It's north of Greece. Corinth was in Greece. It's, the area was called Achaia at the time. And he's writing a second letter to the Corinthians from Macedonia. And he brings up the special offering that he had started in, in Corinth. But there's a problem. The Corinthians haven't completed the task of raising that money, there's been a delay. Now, this has created a serious crisis because here's what's happening. When he was in Macedonia, uh, he, he had uh, bragged on the Corinthians because they were so ready to want to give to the church in Jerusalem. But when he was in Macedonia, here were people that were poor they were being persecuted, and yet 
They gave generously. In fact, they gave beyond their ability to give. In fact, they even begged the Apostle Paul to let them give. Can you imagine somebody coming up to Pastor Andrew saying, please, please take another offering. I, I just want to give. We'd all drop dead if that happened, amen. You start talking about giving, people leave. That's how, that's how much money has controlled the minds of people. Wow. So the crisis is, these people from Macedonia, from those churches, representatives from those churches were going to come to Corinth. They were going to visit Corinth. And, and Paul was very concerned. And he says this in verse 4 of chapter 9. Otherwise, he says, you're going to lose face. Here they're going to come and, and they see you haven't done your job of, of, of fulfilling your promise. And he says, not only are you going to be embarrassed, but I'm going to be embarrassed. So he said, I'm sending Titus to you to help you get your act together before they come. Wow. Now, you read this because Paul doesn't want the offering that's taken to be something grudgingly given. And he knew that if the representatives came and they hadn't finished receiving the offering, there'd be people that would give because they didn't want to be embarrassed. So they would give. And Paul says, I don't want that. That's what he says there very clearly. When you look down at verse five, therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go you, to you ahead of time and prepare the generous gift beforehand which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as grudgingly given or a grudgingly obligation. Wow. Can you imagine? God has the audacity to trust you with money. He wants you to make a decision what you're going to do with your resources. Wow. And so Paul begins to talk to the church in Corinth about the reasons for giving with a willing heart. This gift of giving, if you will, the spiritual gift that Paul mentions in Romans 12 along with all the other spiritual gifts. It's interesting to me. Oh, we love the gift of prophecy. We love the gifts of tongues and interpretation. We love the gifts of healing. But there's other gifts, like the gifts of giving. In fact, Paul encourages the church in Corinth by writing in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. He says, look, just as you want to abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, diligence and love, but see that you also abound in the gift of giving. We can be excited that we... We're so open to the Holy Ghost. Well, one of the aspects of being open to the Holy Ghost is let his gifts flow through you. And one of those great gifts is the gift of giving. In fact, Paul encourages the church by telling them there that they should be givers because of Jesus. Jesus modeled that kind of giving. Think about what he says. He left, he left the splendor of heaven and came to this evil, broken world, filthy world. And did everything he had to do to, to build a bridge between heaven and earth. Dying on a cross and rising from the dead. For one purpose, so we could enjoy the blessings of God by a relationship with Jesus. Wow. He says, if Jesus would be willing to do that, goodness, surely we can do something from a willing heart to help. Wow. So then Paul begins to share with us five principles, five promises from God's word that is for the person who is willing, the five benefits, if you will, for the person who's willing to give to God with a willing heart. 
Let's look at those five things. I want you to write them down. I gave you notes. I didn't give you notes for you to make a paper airplane with it. I gave you notes so you could put it on your refrigerator door and remind yourself of this message and share it with somebody else. Here's the first thing. There's a principle in God. It's the law of sowing and reaping. He says in verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now think about that. You determine your harvest. And it's determined by your sowing. Now, we don't have a problem with that when we're, we're farmers. We know that. You don't sow seeds, you're not going to get a harvest. Well, it's the same way in everything in life. Think about it for a moment. If you sow anger, what are you going to get? If you sow disunity, what are you going to get? Whatever you sow, hear me, you're going to reap. Now, if you sow money, what are you going to get? You're going to get money. That's what Paul says. Oh, don't talk like that, Pastor. Because I don't believe that. Okay, great. That's your prerogative. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But the Bible tells us if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And he goes on to say in Galatians, the same thing. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what a man soweth, that will he reap. And then and throughout the scriptures, there are verses that reaffirm that. For example, in Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, it says, There is he that scattereth and yet increases. And goes on to say, The liberal soul should be made fat. I like that verse. And he that watereth others shall be watered also himself. Proverbs 19, excuse me, Proverbs 18, 17 says the same thing. And then Luke 6, 38, you know that great verse. Given it shall be given unto you. This is Jesus saying, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, good measure, press down, shaken together and running over. Well, men, give into your bosom. For with the measure you use will be the measure you receive. I love uh, one day Pastor Josh was giving a teaching, uh, a giving teaching at the cathedral. And he said it this way. He said, look, he said, you'll notice that Jesus is saying how you give is how you receive. So if you give a teaspoon full to God, God will use a teaspoon to give back to you. If you use a shovel, God will use a shovel to give back to you. He said, I decided I'm going to use a backhoe. Because if I get a backhoe to God, God's going to backhoe it back to me. Some people are brain dead. They don't have a clue that God's real, that his word is true. This is true stuff. Listen to me. There are consequences to obedience to God. His promises are true. But he says there's a caveat concerning sowing and reaping. And in verse 7, you'll notice clearly what you have purposed in your heart. What you have purposed in your heart. That is, he says, you make the decision what you want to do. I don't want you to do it out of grudgingly. Oh, I don't want to give. That's too much money. And I don't want you to do it out of necessity. Oh, I've got to give because I'm being pressured. No. You choose. What do you want to do for God? The moment you choose, phew, things begin to work on your behalf. And God begins to orchestrate things to allow you to do that. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in all my life. You'll notice, for example, that he goes on to share the second promise. First one was sowing and reaping, but here's the second promise. That when you give, you release God's power on your behalf. You release what? You release what? God's, this is exactly what he said. He said in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's talking to the person who sows. 
God is able to make all grace abound to you that you always have all sufficiency in all things and may have an abundance for every good work. You see, he's saying very clearly, it's easy to give when you realize the power of God. Where a generous spirit exists, God will provide the means by which it can be expressed. God is able. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is able. And he uses a very fascinating Greek word there. We translate it sufficiency. But it's a, it's a word that suggests that God can make you in such a way that you're not dependent on others so that you can bless others instead of always having to be blessed by them. Not that that's wrong. People want to bless you. But you need to be in a place where you can be a blessing. Are you hearing me? And you can be in a place of contentment where Paul writes to Tim Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Wow. And you'll have an abundance for every good work. Paul even uses a proof text there in Psalm 112, verse 9. He is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He's saying, here's a man that's very generous. His generosity is a picture of his righteousness that has eternal consequences. Wow. Well, it's interesting what the next one is, the next promise. The first was what? What you sow is what you? Next promise is when you give, you release God. The third promise is that God will supply the seed to the sower, and he will provide food for you while you're sowing. He'll increase or multiply the seed even more so you can sow more. And he will increase your fruit of righteousness. Wow. Listen to what he says here. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Wow. Think about that. And you'll be made rich in every way so you can be generous on all occasions. That's the fourth promise. The third promise is he not only provides the seed to sow, but when you sow it, he provides for you while you're sowing. And he increases your store of seed so you can give more. And when you do that, he, he will multiply and increase the fruit of your righteousness. You'll be able to have a greater effect on people. You'll be able to change things through your giving. Wow. And then he said, I'm going to make you rich in every way so that you can be generous on all occasions. Did you know God's goal for every believer is that you can be generous on every occasion? That is something God taught me. I've shared it so many times. I know I've shared it with you. One day he said, son, I want you to put $2,100 bills in your wallet. I said, well, that's strange. He said, no. He said, and I'll speak to you as to who to give $100 to. It was the most unusual thing I've ever experienced. So here I'm carrying $2,000 in my wallet. I go work out at 24-hour fitness. And out of the blue, some guy, I barely know him. I see him working. He comes up to me and says, hey, he says, you know, I need some gas money. Would you loan me some money? I said, how did he know I had any money? I pulled my wallet out, I gave him $100, said, this is from the Lord, you don't have to pay me back. Did you know that money went like this? I tell everybody when I share that story, don't come up to me, it's gone already, amen. <laughs> But I'll tell you what happened. I realized how powerful it is to be in a place where you can be generous on all occasions. That's where God wants you to be. That's why resources he wants to give you. It's not so. Listen, he doesn't mind what kind of house you have. Build the biggest house you want. Drive the fanciest car you want. Come on, it don't matter to God. 
He said, oh, that's so, that's, you, you're wasting my, oh, give me a break. God's, God is lavish. I mean, heaven streets are made of gold. He doesn't care about it. That's not the big deal for God. What God wants is he can trust you to be generous on all occasions. Wow. That brings me then. Woo, this is getting good. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on all occasions. And then the fifth thing is God will be praised because of your generosity. Are you still with me here? You see, God wants you to be generous. And he's speaking to us today. I've had to learn this because, listen, I was raised in a Christian home. Mama always told me, son, if you have a dollar, 10 cents goes to God. I learned to tithe when I was a boy. Always have tithed. Mama said, if you don't tithe, you're under a curse. And I didn't want to be under any curse, so I always tithe. And uh, gave to missions, gave to, gave to special speakers. I was just a normal Christian guy who operated like that, like many of you do. Something happened when I went to Maui. I was pastoring here in Honolulu when God spoke to me and said, look, I want you to, I want you to establish a church where you lead. At that time, my father was pastoring the largest church in the Philippines. He called me. That church today is over 60,000 people. He called me and said, son, would you take the church? And, of course, I lived in the Philippines. I love the Filipino people. I love the Filipino food. Hallelujah. All that good pancit and adobo. Hallelujah. Lumpia. So my wife and I prayed, and God said, no, you're not going. And uh, out of the blue, I get a call from a church in Huntington Beach, California. I shared this. I think some of you may have been at the bank when I shared it. How many of you have seen that movie, Jesus Revolution? I was in California at that very time, and the star of that show, Lonnie Frisbee, him and I used to witness together on the streets of Huntington Beach. I mean, hello. I was a part of all that. Now, what's interesting to me is that out of the blue, I get a call while I'm in Honolulu. Nobody knows what God spoke to me about from a church in Huntington Beach. I didn't think anybody even knew my name, let alone call me, but I'd been recommended by someone, and they called me, and I was working on my doctorate at the time, so I had to go there anyways. They paid my way, and I was preaching on a Sunday morning when the Holy Spirit said, don't let them vote on you. So at the end of the service, I ran to the board members and said, please don't vote on me. Try some other people out. I don't know why the Lord spoke to me to do this, but please do that. And it was about three or four weeks later that I get a call from a little church on Maui of 100 people that called me and uh, said they, they would like me to think about maybe being their pastor. So I went on a Sunday night. Couldn't go on a Sunday morning because I didn't want people even know that I would be possibly leaving Honolulu. So I went, there were 30 people there that night, which was a huge crowd, because normally there was only 12. And the following Sunday, you know the story, I've shared it many times. I get a call from one of the board members said, look, we just elected you to be our pastor. And I said, I don't know if I want to be your pastor. I was just being honest. I didn't know if it was God's will. But I said, I'd fast and pray. I fasted and prayed, and God gave me a vision of Maui, that he was going to build this massive church that would touch the world. So I went there and I preached on vision and had all the people vote yes or no if they embraced the vision. Because I knew that if I had a vision but they didn't, I'd be wasting my time. They voted overwhelmingly yes. And then I sat with the board. The church was very poor. $50,000 a year came in. That's all. A whole year, $50,000, $4,000 a month. And one person gave one, one quarter of that. You didn't, want to, you didn't want to offend that one person. One quarter of your income would have gone. They couldn't pay me what I was being paid in Honolulu. That 50000 had to pay the pastor, all the expenses of the church, all the missionaries. 
I didn't go there for a salary. I went there because of a vision. So I tested the board and because uh, I knew they had to take a step of faith. And I said, look, if I become your pastor, I want a full-time secretary. They couldn't even pay me, let alone the secretary. But they voted to do that. So I said, I'll be your pastor. And when I arrived there, I challenged the people to come meet me on a Saturday. We tore down half the building, opened the sanctuary to seat from 150 to over 200, because I said we'll double. We doubled that first Sunday in a year and a half. We'd grown to 1,000. We took over the largest church building in the, in the, on the island. But God began to teach me that there's a realm in God that I knew nothing about. It was the realm of the supernatural. Shared some of it when I did the banquets, and so if you were there, you'd probably hear it. But I remember three months into our ministry, we tripled in size. We were running around 300 at the time. I decided to have a banquet for everybody that served in some kind of ministry. And I invited a guy to come preach for us. He'd never preached for us before. Well, he gets up and he preaches on sowing and reaping. And at the end of the service, he challenges everybody to give an offering. And, and he gives us, I think, two months to be able to turn it in. So I'm sitting there saying, Lord, what do you want me to give? And I hear this voice say, $5,000. $5,000. That's huge. And it was even more because we owned a home in Honolulu, which we couldn't sell and we couldn't rent. And we were living in a rented home in Maui, and our entire total income, which was very small, just paid for the, our housing, the mortgage and the house we were living in. We barely had enough money to live on. And uh, I thought, how are we going to do this? I didn't have any savings. My wife was not working. She was a homemaker. She worked hard, but she didn't get paid for it. And so I said, well, I know a sure way to find out if this is God. I'll ask my wife. She was working in the nursery, ran out to there, and I said, honey, I said, uh, you know, uh, uh, we've been challenged to give a special gift, and I felt like we ought to give 5000 What do you think? She said, well, if God said that, do it. I said, okay. I wasn't real enthused about it because I didn't know where I'd get it from. So I wrote down 5000 turned it in. Well, now I was stuck because I had to give that money, and I had no way of doing it, so I figured I'd go to the bank. You know, when you don't have money, the place you go is to the bank to see if you can borrow money, right? Except banks are strange. If you don't have money, they're not going to loan you money. They only loan you money if you have money. It's beyond me. So he looked at my finance. He said, I can't loan you any money. You'll never pay it back. I said, I would pay it back. I'm a pastor. I'll pay it back. Now, he didn't, he didn't hear me. So I left very discouraged, had no way of giving the money. And, but I prayed. I said, God, do something. And about a week before I was to give that money, my house went into escrow in Honolulu. So I had this idea. I'm going to go to the banker, and I'm going to tell him. My house is in escrow. It's going to sell, and I'll pay you back the money. So I went to the banker, and I, I said that to him. And I tried to convince him to loan me 5000 Well, finally, I think it was the mercy of God who weighed on his heart. And he said, okay, I'll loan you 5000 He wrote out a check. He handed me $5,000. And I'm just getting ready to leave when he said a very stupid thing. He said, what are you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to give it away. <laughs> you have never seen a look like that on a banker's face. It is stuck in my mind forever. And I thought, wow, I sure do hope that escrow closes <laughs> Well, it did. And we sold our house on an agreement of sale, a two-year agreement of sale. Now, that's an important part of the story. Because about a year later, God had blessed our church so greatly. We had grown so large that we took a huge step of faith to secure the skating rink that was down the street from us. It was the largest auditorium on the island at the time. We were at that time, a year and a half into the ministry, we were bringing in about 30000 a month, and we were spending that much because I had a staff. And 
But that building was going to cost us $20,000 a month more that we didn't have. And I remember trying to raise money. They were allowed us to take over the building for four months while we were in escrow, so we ran the skating rink. And I remember so clearly the first Sunday we were in that building. It was the first Sunday of, 20, of 1982, January 1982. We'd had a guest speaker that day. He didn't speak about money. He was a healing evangelist. At the end of the service, I received an offering for him like I normally do. And those of you that were at the banquet probably know this story. What happened is I... I was ready to close the service when a woman stands in the center aisle and she just stands there holding something in her hand. Well, you know, normally when that happens, an usher will just take them out. <laughs> and, but I knew this woman. She was a businesswoman. She had a hair salon. Sweet, sweet lady. So I didn't know what to do, so I stepped off the platform, went up to her and said, can I help you? She said, Pastor, we need this building for our new church home. And God spoke to me to give the most precious thing I own. And she opened her hand, and it was a gold nugget from Alaska on a gold chain. And uh, she began to cry. Little did she know she was doing a prophetic act that one day we would be in Alaska. And about three weeks ago, I dedicated our new building in Alaska, which is the largest church building in the state. She had no idea, neither did I. And when I took that gold nugget, a guy in the back of the church raised his hand and said, I'll give my horse. And another one said, I'll give my property on the big island. Another guy raised his hand and said, I'll give my motorcycle. This has never happened before in our church. It's never happened since. People started taking their diamond rings off, doing everything they can to give the most precious thing they had. And I didn't know what to do. You can't orchestrate something like that. It was a sovereign work of the Holy Ghost. But God was going to teach me something. So I said, I guess we ought to receive an offering. So I'm standing on the stage saying, Lord, what do you want me to give? And in a still small voice, I heard the Lord say, I want you to give your salary for three months. I thought, my salary? I have three small kids. I could fast for a month, but they'll die. We'd just finished our home, built our home in Maui, and I had a mortgage. I wouldn't have any way to pay it. And uh, I thought, God, how can I do that? My wife's a homemaker. She's not, she doesn't have a salary. And I didn't have savings. So I thought, well, if this is God, my wife will approve it. Thank God for wives. Amen. We can blame everything on them and we can, we can get out of doing stuff. If they. Well, I didn't know it, but she was sitting in the, in the service and she was praying. She said, God, we don't have anything to give. The only thing we have is our house. And if you want the house, you've got to tell Jim. And right then I called her to the stage and she's thinking, oh, he's going to ask for the house. She comes up really discouraged. I wouldn't know why she was discouraged. She comes up, she's standing right next to me. I'll never forget it. I whispered in her ear. I said, honey, I think that we, we're supposed to give our salary for three months. Well, it wasn't the house. She was elated. She said, of course. Yes. And I began to cry like a baby. I'm telling you what, I cried and cried. Now, I cry at times when the Holy Ghost is on me, so it may have been the Holy Ghost, or it may have been I was just feeling sorry for myself. I don't know, but I cried. And, and I didn't want to back away from it. So I, so I said to the congregation, we're going to give our salary for three months. I didn't know what that meant. I knew what it meant. I knew we could starve to death. One night, as we, I'd taken my kids to the skating rink since we were running the skating rink on Friday and Saturday night. One of my kids asked, can we, can we get something from the snack bar? Now, I'm the president of the snack bar, but I will never take something that I should pay for. I'll never take it for free. So I, I said, um, 
I'm sorry, honey. Your daddy doesn't have any money. I know many of you in this room may have been in a situation like that. And if you have, you can understand how difficult that is. And I remember, remember thinking, this is serious. This is really serious. And I got real serious with God. I said, God, you've got to do something. You really do. You've got to do something. And I began to seek the Lord. And God gave me a verse of Scripture. He gave me a word. He pointed me to the story of Elijah where a widow woman had a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal, made her last cake and gave it to the prophet. And as a result, the meal didn't run out, and neither did the oil until the famine was broken. And he said to me, I'm going to raise up a widow in your church. They're going to give you money. I thought, well, that's amazing. I didn't even know we had any widows in the church. The church had grown so fast. I didn't know everybody in the church, let alone anybody who had any money. Did you know he raised up three widows? And those three widows sent money for the month of January and for the month of February, two months. And a lady in our church stopped by my house every week and left bags of groceries. That same lady, 41 years later, every Sunday, every Sunday, will stop by my office and leave bags of groceries outside my office door at the cathedral. Today she did that. And I'm not even there. She does it every Sunday. And she even hands me money for coffee for the week. Forty-one years later. Don't tell me God doesn't know what he's doing. Don't tell me God's not able. Well, the two months went well. All my bills were paid, mortgage payments were paid, and then the widows stopped giving. There was one more month left. And I thought, God, what's up? Something wrong with your calendar. It's three months, not two. Did you know what happened? Remember that house I sold on an agreement of sale, a two-year agreement of sale? That fellow decided to pay off the house a year early, and that money came in the month of March. And it was a goodly sum. I was able to tithe on it. Oh, somebody ought to get excited. I'm not telling you some story. I'm telling you my life. This is my life. Why, why do I preach this? I don't get it out of a book. I don't get it out of some TV program. I get it out of the core of my own life that God has done. I know what I'm talking about. That money came in that month I tithed on it. I say this every time I tell the story. You can tell by my anatomy, I have never missed a meal. Hallelujah. Now listen to me. God began to teach me there's a realm greater than anything I'd ever known of the God who is not El Chipo, but El Shaddai, the God of plenty. And he encouraged me. There was a time God did speak to my wife and I to give our house, and we did. When we were building the cathedral, we sold our house and gave it all. But God gave me a better house, supernaturally. I can't tell you. All I know, in 1996, he said, I want you to give 1000 a week. I reminded him I'm a pastor. I'm on a fixed salary. I don't get a percentage or any of that stuff. I'm on a fixed salary. But he gave me one idea in the option market. I made a lot of money. Gave it, gave 64,000 that year, next year's 58, next year's 52, next year 68. And when I hit 68 in the year 2000, he said, now double it, give over 100,000 every year. My wife and I, since we've been the pastor of Kings, have given, we're working on our fourth million right now. You say you're insane. I am insane. I'm insanely in love with Jesus, insanely in love with this church. And I know, I know the power of God to provide.
It's not some gimmick to get you to give. I know what God does. Two years ago, we gave more than we'd ever given in our life in one year. We gave 250000 Last year, we gave even more. Almost 350000 You say, how did you do that? I don't know. I don't know. I just know I use up what I have. God supernaturally brings money to me. I never ask for money, never will. All I know is that his promise is true. I know. I know. And so that is why today, and that's why I believe God has challenged us three times a year at Easter, at Pentecost, and at the Feast of Tabernacles when he said, do not come before me empty-handed. I believe it's God's way of challenging his church to move into the realm of supernatural giving. You see, each of those festivals were tied to the harvest in some way. I believe our giving is going to make a difference in the harvest that God's about ready to give us. This is an important time. I believe even giving at this particular time in God's economy has special significance. And I want to be challenged. I want to be in a church that challenges me to do more. I would have never known God's power to provide if I hadn't been challenged to give. And that's why God says, purpose in your heart. Let me ask you a question. What do you want to do this year for God? With your money. I've set a goal even bigger than last year's. I have no way of reaching it. But I purpose in my heart, I'm going to do everything I can to bring that about. And I have to leave it into God's hand. I can't, you know, I don't have outside businesses. I'm on a fixed salary. He's got to provide. And he's done it unusually. I mean, strange things. I was at a, I was at a conference one time. I saw a guy way across, and I, all I did is wave to him and said, hi. That's all I did. I said, hi. I'd known him years before and just said hi. Didn't get a chance to talk to him. About two days later, my son came home. He'd been at the conference. And uh, he said, this person gave me an envelope to give to you. It was the fellow I said hi to. I opened up the envelope. You know what was in it? It was a check for $10,000. I ought to say hi more often. <laughs> I, I can't orchestrate that kind of stuff. I know there's people that try to give you some sob story and all this stuff to evoke from you some kind of giving. I can't do that. I don't have a sob story. I have a story of victory that God over and 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 over again has provided for me supernaturally. Today we're going to receive an offering. It's the victory offering. It's the Pentecost offering. You know it's significant to God because on Pentecost he poured out his spirit. So there's a significance in God's calendar for this moment. And I believe if you give. I wrote on my envelope, my wife and I are, are giving $50,000. That's what we're giving at this offering. I don't, want, I don't say that to make you think I, I'm some, somebody special. Forget it. Some people could give a million dollars. That's what I'm giving. And I gave the same at Easter. You say, well, why'd you share it then? Because I want you to know I'm not going to ever ask you to do something I don't do. Are you hearing me? I've knocked on nearly every door on Maui. I get up for early morning prayer meeting. If a pastor tells you to do something, he's not willing to do it himself, something's wrong with that picture. We're on the team. We're player coaches. We play on the team. We coach the team, but we play on it. So listen to me. I want you to prepare an offering. Now, the ushers are going to come. They're going to give you an envelope. If you want one, just raise your hand. But if you use an envelope, what I'd ask you to do is write on the back. Write on the back some things you want from God. Did you know I gave last Sunday and I left an envelope for my wife to give this Sunday 
and I wrote things on the back. I filled my whole back of that envelope with things. You say, is that important? Yeah, it's important. Because the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. I'm asking. I'm asking. And did you know God reads my envelope? He does. You know, last year I asked God to allow each of my children to have their own home. By the end of the year last year, all of my children were in their own home. It cost me a lot of money. But they were in their own home. I couldn't do that, but God did. I've asked him for stuff like that. He didn't have a problem. He gets a kick out of it. But he looks for a willing heart. So ushers, would you come right now, please? You need an envelope? You want to use an envelope? You're writing on a check right out to KC. And um, it'll go into this great victory offering. Some of you have already given last week. Some of you gave at the banquet. Some of you may want to give more or whatever God's called you to do. There's no pressure. It's so funny. It's so funny. I, uh, when, I, when I went to Maui, our church grew so fast. And of course, we were learning how to give. And there was a rumor on Maui that if you go to King's Cathedral, they stop you at the door and make you give $1,000. I thought, boy, that's a great idea. Let's do that. But we don't ask anybody to give anything other than what they feel led to give. Did you know there's some church groups that you have to give them your tax returns and then they say this is how much you're supposed to be giving every year. We don't do that. I just believe I have a church full of people that love Jesus and are going to obey the Lord with their tithe and are going to obey the Lord in their gift. I just believe that. And I'm looking at that group right now. Somebody say amen. You say I believe this could be the greatest year of giving Kings New Valley has ever had. You say, well, we don't have a lot of wealthy people. No, that's not true. It's not true. God's blessed me. He's the one who provides wealth. He can take anybody and make them wealthy. Anybody, even a pastor. He helped me make one investment. One investment. That in equity, I made more than everything I've ever given him in my lifetime. Psst, don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. One investment. He can give you one idea. He can create one relationship. One situation changes everything like that. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And for more great content, go to KCOahu.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.